There's a river, amen? Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 28 and 30. Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 30 in a moment. I'm glad to see you this evening. Hope you've had a great day. Been a nice afternoon and uh, look forward to a cooler week. Looks like Oklahoma's going to get a break for a minute. Jesus offers the absolute best gift we can imagine, the gift of himself. He gives us himself. He's up close. He's personal. He's intimately connected with our lives, the joy or the distress of it. He knows us and he's involved with our lives. And I'm glad for that. Who here loves dogs? Like dogs? You know, dogs are great. I mean, some people have real love for their animals. There can be a, a great connection between a master and a dog, and of course, a cat and its servant. Uh, cats don't have masters, they know they're in charge. We have both, and, and that's exactly the way it is in our house. A dog, you know, you could lock the dog up in the trunk, and it would jump out 20 minutes later and think you're the best friend in the world. Try that with your wife, it doesn't work the same, same way. It won't work the same way. I read a story of, uh, a few years back about a dog named Tattoo who was a basset hound. Basset hounds are fairly strong animals, believe it or not. I mean, they're just pretty solid in muscle. But they're not made for running fast. They're not designed. They're short to the ground. In the story that I read, uh, the dog owner forgot he had walked his dog and closed the door on the leash with Tattoo on the outside of the car. We can imagine what's going to happen. He begins to drive off, and Tattoo is still on the outside, and he has no choice but to try to keep up. This is Ontario. It was an Ontario uh, provincial police officer, Terry Filbert, who noticed the passing car, and as he noticed, he saw the poor Basset Hound, he said, was picking them up and putting them down, (laughs) trying to keep up with the car. Eventually, he got the car to stop, but not before the dog had got up to 25 miles an hour (laughs) and at least once had rolled over and caught back up and tried to run again. You know, fortunately, the dog was not hurt too bad, but still, it's, it's humorous to think of that. But I think sometimes some of us feel like Tattoo the dog, that maybe we're picking them up and putting them down as fast as we can. We feel like life is rolling us over and over, and we feel like we're being dragged through life. Can you relate to that, Basset Hound? I can sometimes. As we look at this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 11, we read these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask you to help us to see what your invitation is, this captivating invitation. And that, Father, you offer us something that can help us in our life, and you offer us strength for the journey, and that you will be with us all along the way. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. That is the, that is the title for today's or night's message, A Captivating Invitation. Uh, if something's captivating, it gets your attention. It, it captures you. I'm sorry, what's... Uh, Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 30, 
Have we, have we found it? Okay, good. Good deal. We're together now. I'm glad we're on the same page. So as we, we look at this captivating invitation, I want to say something as a first point. Number one, I'm not here as an entertainer. I never am. I, hopefully, you will find what I have to say interesting, but I'm not here to entertain people. I'm not here primarily, I think, when I read this passage of Scripture and I share it with you, even as a teacher. Uh, I'm here more, I think, as a... I'm not, I'm not trying to have some external compulsion on you to do something. I'm not trying to talk you into something. But what I am is a mailman. And I'm bringing you an invitation from God to look at that passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 11 and think that he is addressing you and he is offering you a privilege to accept his invitation. So think of that as point one. We look then again at Matthew 28. I want to read it again. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think some of us continue to carry a heavy burden in our lives. And a burden that I think many people carry is trying to be good enough. We've been told all our life, uh, somewhere along the way, either through movies or people we talk to, or maybe even in our own mind we've tried to work it out to think that somehow that life is, is, is a balancing act in heaven, that if I do more good than bad, I get in. I mean, that's the way the world thinks. If I do good things, if I do enough good things, then God will be pleased with me and he'll let me into heaven. But if I do bad things, then I don't get in. I heard a modern parable about this. It, it was a few years back when wagons still were on the roads. And a, a man was driving a wagon, and on his way, he overtook another old man on his way to a market. And obviously, this old man on his way to the market was carrying a burden of whatever he was trying to sell, whatever vegetables. By the way, see Deborah for tomatoes and cucumbers tonight before you leave. So she doesn't have the burden of taking them home. But as he carried that burden on his back, the, the wagon driver offered to give him a ride. And so he got the old man to get into the wagon, and the old man gratefully accepted it. Sometime later, the wagon driver turned around and looked behind him, and to his surprise, he found that the man in the back of the wagon was still straining with the pack on his back. Instead of letting it go and let it ride on the wagon along with him, he still held on to the burden as he was riding the wagon. And he said, how come you did that? The old man explained, I knew you would carry me, you offered, but I wasn't sure you would also carry my burden. That sounds silly, but still isn't that what we do? Too many Christians, I think, continue to try to carry the heavy burden of trying to be good enough. Do I do enough good? Am I, am I, am I good enough? It's not that we don't serve God once we are saved. That's not it. But we can never be good enough. We can never do enough good. We are only accepted in Jesus. We can work feverishly to gain God's approval only to discover that we didn't have to do it to begin with. We only needed to come to Jesus. I think many don't understand that Jesus finished the work on the cross. Isn't that what he said? It is finished and when he said that 
He gave you permission to rest. Once you accept Jesus, you can rest in him. But I see so many people struggle in life, trying to live up to something they think God is expecting of them. Not that we shouldn't work for the Lord. Obviously, we should. But we can't strive and work and wear ourselves out thinking it will make us more acceptable to God. Number two. Jesus is here inviting the laborers when we read this passage. Come, he says, unto me, all ye that labor. I know that word. And, it, and labor implies more than work. Labor implies more than work. Work is a privilege in God's kingdom. I mean, it's what he put us in the garden for. It was to do something, to give us a job to do. It's a privilege. I think it's a, it's a source of a satisfaction. I, I know a number of people that when they don't seem to have something to do, they don't feel like they have value. They want something to do. They want to work in some capacity, in some way. I think work is also a safeguard for many people because, you know, you understand that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle hours are hours of danger. We need something to do. I think that's why God says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We do need to do something. We just don't need to strive. The root word for the word labor is kopos. And it, it means to cut. To cut. By analogy, it, the idea is that it implies a, a cutting that is painful. It's troubling. It's wearisome. You ever get a paper cut? <sighs> You know, and I always find the paper cut when I want to squeeze lemon in my tea. <laughs> That's when I discover it. Or if I get some hot sauce or something. I get something on my hand. All of a sudden, I discover I have a paper cut. It's wearisome. It's all at that moment I notice the pain. I notice the trouble. When I look at that word in the original language, it means work that is carried on at the price of willingness and pain. Willingness and pain. It's as if the person wants to have the pain, to take it on. That's the idea that means in striving. It's, it's a work that is heavy and hard, and it's so hard it becomes futile, and it becomes an agony. If you've ever worked to the place of exhaustion where you've just collapsed, you, you finished whatever it was you're trying to do. Maybe you were lifting bags of concrete or maybe you, you bailed hay during the summer or you dug a ditch or you worked concrete or you did something in a kitchen where the temperature was 140 degrees and you're sweating and you're wearing yourself out and all of a sudden you just sit down and fall down and you discover, I'm exhausted. I've worked myself to a place that I am in agony. It's a work the word means, that degenerates into a toil. Some work is good. I mean, Teresa and I, Teresa and I uh, again, love bread. We love to make bread, love to eat bread. It's just something. And, and that process of working the bread and kneading it out is a necessary work to get something to the end. But I couldn't do it all day. I couldn't work in a bakery. My hands couldn't handle it. If I tried to do that because of what I have in arthritis, I would be worn out and sore by the end of the day and miserable. It's one thing to make one loaf. It's another to make a hundred. I couldn't do that. 
It's a work that becomes monotonous. It's a struggle that leads to utter frustration. That's the picture in the scripture. That we're working and we're, we're worn out. That's the burden that we have. And that's the burden that Christ wants to relieve. That struggle in our lives. Let me give you an example. One day Jesus commanded his disciples to enter into the ship. And he wanted them to row across the other side of the lake, Gennesaret. And they obeyed eagerly. They were ready to serve Jesus, not a problem. We want to go where you want to go, Jesus. And they were veteran sailors of that lake. They knew where they were doing it. They had watched it. They knew what was going on. It had been their life. And for a while, the wind was with them. But as you remember the story, all of a sudden, a tempest swept up down upon them and at that point they begin to make no progress i know evan knows about this but you know as as i i took flight lessons and i was flying an airplane there there gets to be a point where if you know depending on the airplane how strong it is that the wind can push so much that you're just there you're not going anywhere the wind can blow so hard and it be so fast if your engine is not strong enough you're just floating in the air you're not going anywhere you have to go a different direction That's where they were. They were simply in the water, struggling and not going anywhere. They were straining harder and harder, and the sea was not calm. They strained, and all they got was weariness, blistered hands, frustration, and defeat until Jesus stepped in. That is the picture that he paints for the disciples, and he paints for us as we struggle against life unknowingly sometimes, thinking that we're actually doing something good. In 1930, it was an unusual event that took place. It's still on the FBI uh, records of uh, missing persons. On August 15th, after dining with his family, a New York State Supreme Justice uh, named Joseph Carter hailed a taxi, and he got in, and they never heard from him again. FBI thought maybe he had some to do with the cases he was working. They began to look at the cases, and they thought, well, maybe it was, this is back in the 30s, so there was mobs, you know, a mob connection. Maybe the, the mobsters, you know, tried to move, remove him so he wouldn't do something, but they never really found anything associated with it. What they did find on his desk was a note that read this. I am very, very tired, love Joe. And that was it. That was the last they ever heard from him. I think some people are very, very tired. They're tired of struggling. They're tired of suffering. They're tired of frustration, of wanting something and not achieving it. I think many feel that way. And Jesus has something to say if you're exhausted today, if you're worn out, if you're chewed up, if you're spit out, if you're hurting and frustrated. He offers us rest with him three the second group jesus invited is the burdened those who carry weighty loads and hear a personal invitation come unto me all ye that are heavy laden and i will give you rest that word means a burden of anxiety the picture there is that you are tormented by fear fear of what could happen I don't know how many times I've told people, you know, we worry more about what's going to happen than actually does happen. We just 
drive ourselves crazy worrying about things that might happen when they hardly ever do. Sin can have a dominion over our lives sometimes and over our family. We see them as being held captive and we know it could be better and we're frustrated and tormented by anxiety. Loads of deep fear can be that heavy burden maybe burden of sorrow and disappointment. You expected something to happen and it didn't happen. Or something happened you didn't expect and it was horrible. You've traveled along a road of great promise only to lead you to a swamp or desert in your life. A place where you don't really find help. I I think also uh, there are people who carry a a burden, a heavy laden burden of self-will. Self-will. In the Arabian Nights, there's a story about a gentleman how, out of his sheer kindness, took a feeble old man on his shoulders and lifted him to carry him. Uh, but when he got to the destination, the old man in the Arabian Nights refuses to get off. He won't dismount. He won't get off. And he became a crushing weight. And in the story, you discover that he is the old man of the sea. And it's the burden and the weight of the sea itself that is now crushing the man who tried to help. Self-will can be a burden. Augustine put it this way. He said, I've read Plato, I've, played Cic- I've read Cicero, and their sayings are very wise and beautiful, but I never heard either of them say, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only Jesus said that. There are many philosophers, but only Jesus, the wisest, offers rest. Number four, what did Jesus invite us to? When you read the passage and you come to it and you look at it, he says this, come unto me. Jesus uses that phrase a number of times. If, if you have your Bible, you can mark these and look at them later. In the Synoptic Gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the ones that see the same, you know, John is a little different in his outline. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, tell the story that Jesus says, suffer the little children to what? Come unto me. And don't forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. It's that same expression, come unto me. Also in, in the scripture in John six sixty five in the King James Version, he says, therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him by the Father. Same expression, same words that he uses. He uses the same in John seven thirty seven. He's explaining the Holy Ghost's infilling. And in that, he says, if Jesus says, he stood up and he cried to a group, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I've heard in stories that there are those who have traveled the desert as Bedouins, and they try to find, obviously, places that there are water, an oasis. But it's difficult. They may know where they're at, but do they know exactly? I mean, let's face it, they had camels, but they didn't have GPS on the camels. And so they're trying to find by the stars where they need to go. And and what they did was they would send out people one at a time, and they would stagger them. And people would begin to look in the direction for the oasis and where the water was. And there would be a distance between them where they could hear the other person if they listened carefully. And when the first person found the water, before he stooped down to drink the water, he would yell as loud as he could, come. 
And then the next person that was staggered would yell, come. And the next one would yell, come. And the next one would yell, come. Till it made it all the way back to everyone else. And they knew that they had found a resting place. I think Jesus says, come unto me. And when he does, it's not trite. It's not an emptiness. It's not just an expression. It's an invitation. An invitation to come unto him and find in him... He's the location, come unto me. He's the location in which we have a privileged place. And with those, like he said earlier, with a childlike faith, can come unto him and find rest. Those who have a spiritual thirst can come to Jesus and find what they need. Number five, Jesus further said, take my yoke upon you. A better translation may be, take the yoke that I bear. Now, think about that for a minute. Take the yoke that I bear. Jesus bears the yoke himself, but he asks you to partner with him, to come along with him. But who is bearing the yoke? Jesus. I mean, what yoke is easy? What yoke is light? That's not a picture that you and I would think of. We would think of this yoke as being cumbersome or or trapping us in something. And yet it does not because Jesus is the one that bears the burden of the yoke. And we partner with him and he exhibits and exudes strength and direction and he helps us. And with him we have his strength now to bear the burdens that we pull behind us. Where before we were by ourselves weighing down underneath all of that heavy burden. Now he offers to link up with us and bear the burden with us. He says, come unto me for a single act of decision and take my yoke. It calls for a dedicated life, I think. It calls for joining a campaign to walk along with Jesus. Will I walk with him? The idea of a yoke is referred to as a learning experience in the scripture. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and what? Learn of me. When we walk with Jesus, we learn something we didn't know before. We learn how to handle these situations that he's talking about, the the burdens, the frustrations, the anxieties, where we couldn't handle those before because we yoke up with Jesus. He shows us how to do that. Take my yoke. In the old world in which Jesus lived, when they had a yoke, you and I might think of two burly uh, oxen or something that were matched set that were put together, but that's not how they did it. They had one large opening for a yoke and one smaller opening for a yoke for a younger animal to be trained. That's how they did it. One animal had already been trained and knew what it needed to do if it was pulling it to to grind wheat or something or if it was pulling a plow in the field or if it was pulling a heavy burden. And the other animal had to learn how to do that. You couldn't put two young animals together. So you put an older animal with a younger animal and that younger animal began to learn how to be an oxen in a yoke. And when we look at that and we think about that, one side of the yoke was for the smaller being trained and the other side was for the older oxen, you have some implied ideas with that when you look at this text. Number one, you have a mature with an immature. 
you have a mature animal with an immature animal. Doesn't the Bible tell us to grow up and not be children anymore, to, to grow up and be different? We learn how to be different when we're yoked with Jesus. We learn how to mature. I think the second thing it implies is wise and unwise. Jesus knows what we need and we do not. We need his wisdom. And so yoked, connected with Jesus, we get the wisdom we need. A third thing is that the powerful is connected with the weak, and that's us. We're connected with the God of gods, the King of kings, the creator of the universe who knows the power we need and can give it to us when we're yoked with him, when we're with Christ. Six, Jesus gives us certain reasons for, I think, accepting this invitation. I think if you notice that he never attempts to force his yoke upon us. You see that? Come unto me. He doesn't come to us and slap a yoke on us. He says, come unto me. You come. He never compels any man to come to him. Nobody will ever be compelled to put a yoke on, a, on him to be a partner. He offers that compelling invitation. He asks you to come. Come unto me. Joshua declares the words, choose you this day whom you will serve. I think it's a privilege either to accept or reject the yoke of Jesus. It is not our privilege, though, to reject all yokes. He offers this very important one, salvation. We reject that one, we have no hope. We can choose to to the yoke of Jesus. There are burdens that will be borne. But if we refuse that, we will get a yoke of some kind. It won't be a yoke we'll enjoy. It'll be a yoke of self. It'll be a yoke of sin that's forced upon us. Every man will bear some kind of yoke. The philosopher Ovid said these words, Before you run in double harness, look well to the other horse. Wise words. Who are you partnered with? Who are you yoked with? What are you yoked to? Moffat translates this, My yoke is kindly and my burden is light. Finally. Seven. Why is his yoke easy and his burden light? I think the yoke of Jesus is, as Moffat says in his translation, kindly. It, it, it brings us rest. For we were forced to bear our burden before now jesus along with his strength bears the burden with us and we're allowed rest jesus in yoking with him takes the burden from us that's why the yoke is light and it's easy he takes it on himself and pulls it where we were suffering under it alone it's rest i think also the yoke fits Some are suffering from sour words. Some are suffering from conscience and wounds of the heart. You've been wearing a yoke that doesn't fit. Take Jesus' yoke. It fits. He knows what you need. Thirdly, it's a shared yoke. There's a story called His Mother's Sermon. And in that story, the mother makes an appeal to her son. If Christ offers you his cross, you will accept it because he always carries the heavy end himself. Isn't that true? He carried the cross for you. 
He carried the burden for you. And if he asks you to come along, he will not put on you more than you can handle. He will bear the invitation. It's not the only scripture in the Bible that we read that gives an invitation. There's another. Isaiah 55, 6 says this, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, and call ye upon him while he is near. It was a cold winter day, and the carcass was floating down on the ice in the Niagara River. You can see the Niagara Falls in your mind, can't you? You know it freezes sometimes. It's even frozen over. And so here is the ice floating down the river, and there in the middle of the river is a carcass floating along, something that's died and fallen in the river. An eagle sees it as prey and descends to eat on the carcass, begins to pick at it, begins to flap its wings, and you think, you know, you need to get up and fly here in a minute. You know, it's floating down the river. It's going toward the falls. But he doesn't leap to safety. He stands there and eats the carcass because he's done it before. Bodies of animals have fallen in the river and floated, and he's landed on them before, and he's eaten them, and he's gone down. And just before the roar of the falls, he would light off and float away, and the carcass would fall over. He gets closer and closer, and he waits till the very mists of Niagara Falls are billowing around him and he starts to stretch his wings and fly but unknown to him his talons have now frozen into the carcass that's in the river and he cannot get away his fate was sealed and though he struggled and he struggled he tried to get away and he could not and at last the flow of the river took him and the carcass over the falls to his death he waited too long I encourage you tonight to accept the captivating invitation that is offered from Jesus to be yoked with him before you are caught in something you cannot escape from. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening and we ask you to help us with this idea of a captivating invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, for it is light. We will learn from you when we do that. Thank you for offering to take us along for the ride. You will lead us. You will guide us. You will direct us. You will carry the heavy burden, and we will learn from you how to handle the burden that we do have. For those who are struggling, for those who are disappointed, for those who are frustrated, Father, may you give them the strength they need tonight as they renew their yoke mateship with you. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. God bless you, and may you have a wonderful week. Mm